I'll be reading from Mark 8, 14 through 21. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They d discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered again, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Was your mom like my mom? You didn't get to leave the house without saying I love you or give your mother a kiss or something like that. Or, you know, particularly we would go visit the grandparents and it would be, now we're not leaving until you tell grandma and grandpa I love you. And so you learned those lessons very early on. You became people who knew how to say I love you to the significant and wonderful people in your life. It's my hope that you tell your dad that you love him today at some point. And uh, I'm going to get the chance to do that a little bit later today as well. It became something to ponder later in my life. Maybe it did for you. Who are you going to say this to? How are these words going to impact a relationship that you have? Because again, you, you want to be sure that people know that you love them. But boy, you know, you can scare people with that, that phrase, I love you. I've seen a few people as I've said I love you and they just kind of step back. That's not language that they're used to. Of course, there were the girlfriends who didn't want to go out anymore after something like that. Um, I, I really can't remember. Sharon might could tell you the story of which of us said I love you first, but it seemed to be sort of a mutual consent after a little while. And I'm, by the way, really glad that I said I love you to Sharon many, many 35-plus years ago. So, uh, And by the way, you're blessed by the fact that we share that together. It is a pattern in our life becomes the kind of thing that when we get to rough spots in our life, particularly in the closest and nearest relationships we have, we reaffirm the reality that even though right now we might not always have all these warm feelings for each other, we affirm that beyond warm feelings, there is the love. How many of you have had to say to your children, I know what I'm, the punishment that I'm engaging it here in is difficult. It's not going to be easy for you. But I also want you to know that I love you. And by the way, were you like me? Well, if you loved me, you wouldn't be, right? But that's probably because we misunderstood it to a certain extent. Back in 1976, Paul McCartney, yes, Paul of the Beatles, but post-Beatles, and his wife, Linda, wrote a little song called Silly Love Songs. How many people remember Silly Love Songs? Um, the entire chorus is just saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, over and over again. And it has a very powerful impact. A song about silly love songs that still means so much to us. In fact, the song, in the middle of the song, the chorus translates into basically an a cappella uh, where he and his wife... Uh, Linda, uh, speak back and forth to each other their love, and it really uh, has a beautiful sound to it. Yes, 1976, 
It was not your hippest kind of music, but it was a great song. Words mean something. Words that we speak to other people mean something. And the words that we hear from other people mean something to us. And the more we realize the power of the, the words that we use, the more we can recognize our ability to bless others. I hope that you found someone today that you could speak words of blessing to. And also to hear the words that are spoken as a blessing to us. Sometimes a challenge to us. But always intended, always intended, words have the power to change us. And no words are more important in the process of us being changed than the words of God. So when God acts in a way and he speaks in a way to say that I love you as my children or Jesus acts in a way, maybe as Bill referred to last week, he takes his outer clothing off and puts on a towel and he washes feet. Do we hear God's love for us and does it change us? Do we let those words sink in and really make an impact on our life? The passage we just read from Mark chapter 8 follows, of course, the feeding of the 5,000 and what's called the feeding of the 4,000, one taking place on Jewish soil where... Big surprise, what's left over is, anybody, how many? Twelve baskets fall, the twelve tribes of Israel. And then the other takes place in a Gentile area, non-Jewish area. And there, how many baskets full are left? Seven, this word of perfection of everybody coming into the family. Jesus is continuing to teach his disciples and to help the disciples and they have this conversation from Mark 8, and it relies heavenly, heavily on a quote that's very common in the Gospels from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is called, and God says to Isaiah, I'm sending you out, and just so you know, the people I'm sending out may have eyes, but they're not going to be able to see, and they're going to have ears, but they're not going to be able to hear. They are not going to understand your message, but I still want you to go out and speak it. Jesus quotes Isaiah in his teaching in the synagogue, basically saying, Isaiah said that you were this way, and I think the challenge from his words was, but won't you be a people who, because God has given you ears to hear, won't you listen to God's word, and particularly Jesus speaking God's word in their presence. Jesus doing miracles and in serving people in a way that they need to see God acting and understand what's going on. And he has this conversation with the disciples. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. If I had to summarize very quickly is the idea of the hard-heartedness. The hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. Maybe the legalism of the Pharisees is also implied here. But Herod is very much about power. Very much about the idea of, of might makes right. And Jesus warns them, you need to stay away from those kinds of things. The disciples can't figure it out. Why yeast and wait a minute, bread? And, and, and again, Mark gives us that context. Well, they just they failed to bring extra bread with them. And they had the one, left. oh, it's because we didn't have. And what they failed to see, now twice. And for us, just turning the pages... Just a couple of pages, you've had both of these occasions where there has been nothing and God provided not just enough, but 
kind of to remind us of the words of Psalm 23. My cup is not just full, my cup overflows. And what Jesus and God provide, what God provides through Jesus is more than they needed, such that there were leftovers there. And the disciples are not understanding. The disciples, unfortunately, are falling into that place of ears that don't hear and eyes that don't see. Oh, it's because we don't have bread. And Jesus is like, excuse me, if we needed bread, I could take your one loaf and we could fill this lake with all the bread that we've got. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be stubborn. Don't, don't miss the power of what's going on around you. Hear my words. Don't fail to hear with your heart. And let my words change you. This idea became a catchphrase. I don't do this very often, so forgive me. This is Greek. A heke hota akuen akueto. Doesn't that make sense to you? It becomes a crutch. Very good. It becomes a catchphrase. And the interesting thing is you might say, oh, it's a catchphrase in Mark because it occurs about five times in Mark. It's not just a catchphrase in Mark. It spills over into Matthew. It spills over into Luke. John will say the same thing but has slightly different verbiage. Anytime, and particularly, by the way, when Jesus is teaching in parables, again, to a certain extent, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod is a parable, a metaphor that it get, the little things get in you and that can expand and, and take over everything, infect everything. And Jesus would say, and he would say it in Aramaic. The writers recorded it in Greek. It's particularly significant that not only do we kind of come back to the idea over and over again, but I put the Greek up there because it is worded in exactly this form every time it comes up. It is intended both as a statement Jesus makes to say, Why aren't you listening? but also to the writers who wanted to catch the reader's attention and say, Jesus is saying things to change you. Are you hearing? It may well be that you've guessed what is all guessed it already, but let me help you just quickly. Anyone having ears to hear must listen. If you kind of looked at the form there, the idea of hearing and listening are the same, but one is... If you, can, if you can hear, you must listen. Very different kind of emphasis on each word. And the reality is what Jesus is saying is that what I teach to you, and, and I think he would speak very powerfully and say, and what you read in the synagogue in the Old Testament every week needs to be you hearing the voice of God and the voice of God changing you into what? God wants us all to be. Amen? And particularly Jesus uses it in his ministry because his yearning heart is that they would transition from the people of Isaiah's day who will, in about 150 years after Isaiah is called, will be taken into exile in Babylon. 
And Jeremiah will write that God is no longer going to just have the law on scrolls at the temple, but instead God wants to write the law on our hearts. He wants us to be changed by the words. In a very unique kind of way, the children of Israel went away into exile in Babylon and what they decided to do in Babylon is to not just have a single place that would hold the law and people go to that place to get it, but every community had a, a, a room, a building that they would build and reality, I'm certain, just times when they would gather under a tree so that they would read the word of God and when they came back, they called them synagogues, places to gather. The place where Jesus taught the word. Because what they understood was, and I think in a very powerful way, they were doing things to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy. We don't want the words to be distant. We want the words to be near. We want them to be on our hearts. Let them hear. These are powerful words. Jesus speaks them again. It becomes this catchphrase that comes up over and over again. Again, it should sort of nibble at us. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to be hearing more than just the words. I'm supposed to be hearing the message of God. I'm supposed to let it sink into me. This summer, we're going to spend a few weeks looking at some specific places in Scripture. Particularly, we're going to be looking at prayers. Prayers that are prayed for the church, prayers that are prayed by the church, that are about us because if prayer has power and that power is to change our lives, then the words of scripture should mold us and shape us. I want to encourage you, this is not going to be a series about, oh, you're not getting it right and you better do this and you better do that. It is going to be a series about what is God's seed in your life. These prayers are paid to plant seeds in our life and those seeds are intended to change us and to bless us and bring us closer to the heart of God. Let me give a quick example. Acts chapter 13, let's read together. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome to. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. Uh, if you're not aware, that Saul is going to be the Saul that becomes Paul, that writes so much of the letters of the New Testament. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, again Saul that will be Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying over them, praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I want you to see the image of a group of people worshiping together. And this would have been included uh, quoting scripture from the Old Testament. It probably included quoting things that they had already begun to memorize that Jesus said. Maybe things like, he who has ears, let him hear. They might have been singing from the Psalms. They were wrapped up in a time of prayer, and it is in this moment that the Holy Spirit speaks to them. It doesn't say that it appears at a voice. It may simply have been something that, that occurred to someone, and they said, we are sending off Paul and Barnabas to do mission work. Now, you need to understand that it was 
months and probably even years earlier that Paul is interrupted on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him and his life goes from persecuting Christians to understanding that he's going to tell the story of the truth of Jesus and his resurrection. And particularly Jesus said, you will be my apostle to the Gentiles. So it's not a big surprise that Paul winds up in this church in Antioch which had such an incredible Gentile influence on it. But it is not until this prayer, it is not until the Holy Spirit speaks through this time of worship. And then, again, don't miss the symbol here. That these men in this church, this church understands the power of putting Paul and Barnabas in their midst and reaching up, and you've seen us do this with elders, you've seen us do this with Moms and dads and babies. You've seen us do this with seniors. The power of saying, I'm not just praying this prayer. I'm praying this prayer for you. And I want your heart to be open. So that what you hear, you will truly listen to. Hear the words God prayed over you. They laid their hands on them and sent them off. Never lose sight of the fact that Luke writes, uh, both in the narrative of the gospel and now in this continuation of the gospel through the Acts of the Apostles, by emphasizing first Jesus and then his church. They don't go anywhere without prayer. Prayer is a very powerful part of the gospel of Luke. The Holy Spirit seems to be very tied into this idea of praying together and the Spirit speaks to us. And so this is Luke's context. So when we continue into verse 4, one of the great understatements in all the New Testament. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. Now if you've got Acts open, you can start turning pages, page after page after page. It wasn't until this prayer, it wasn't until hands being laid on them that they decided, oh, Maybe this isn't about just going where Gentiles are already believing, but this is about going to places where people have never heard the good news about Jesus. And he just kept going and kept going. He went to Asia Minor, uh, chapter 16. He, he gets a vision, oh no, wait, we're not staying in this part of the world. We're going to a whole other part of the world. Eventually, as we're reading the book of Romans, he's saying, I'm headed... I'm headed as far away from home as anybody can go. I'm going to Spain because those people need to hear. This prayer was heard. And it changed the rest of his life. It changed everything that he did. Not that he was constantly moving from place to place. He spent a couple of years at Corinth. He spent a couple of years at Ephesus. But it was always with the idea that there's going to be another spot, another spot, another spot that I'm going to proclaim the gospel. This prayer changed who Saul at that time. I've told you this before. I'll just remind you. Uh, Saul is actually pronounced with an S-H sound, Shaul. And, And the Greeks didn't know how to make a sh sound. So Paul made it easy, Saul made it easier for them, just changed his name to Paul. So that's this change, transition from Shaul to Paul. And, and the people could pronounce his name. Prayer. Words prayed over, hands laid on him. Changed everything that he did. He becomes this incredibly powerful example 
of how not to live in misunderstanding God's words for us. How not to live in a stubbornness that says, I'm going to read the prayer. I'm going to hear the words of Scripture. I'm going to hear the prayers of Paul being prayed over churches just like ours. I'm going to hear the prayers of Peter prayed over churches just like us. I'm going to hear the words of Jesus prayed over people just like me. And they're just going to be words. Maybe I memorize them. But they are intended to change who we are. Paul becomes this model where it's not about a people with ears who don't hear and eyes that don't see, but instead these people filled with the Holy Spirit become people who say, no, 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 I hear you, Jesus, and I'm going to act. I hear you, God, and I'm going to change the way I view myself because of what you've spoken over me. One more example, if you don't mind, if you'd like to turn to John chapter 17. Slightly longer reading. John collects a prayer of Jesus that goes on 17 and 18 to bless us as his church. These ought to be words that we're hearing, ought to be words that we're listening to, ought to be words that we're being blessed by. We hear them and we hear them. Starting in verse 6, I have made your name known to those who you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me I have given to them and they have received them and know the truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Wow, what a difference this is from the road where it's the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod and and why can't you understand? And Jesus says, no, they've, they've gotten it. They know who I am. Wasn't perfect, wasn't finished. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I've been glorified in them and now I am no longer in the world but they are in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Hear Jesus' prayer. Protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was in them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the one destined to be lost so that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they did not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world but I ask that you protect them from the evil one. Incredible, powerfully statement. I'm going to take care of these guys. I want you to take care of these guys. It is interesting that that everything about church history and everything that we read, other than Judas and his betrayal and his choice not to, to, to seek Jesus for forgiveness for even that, but beyond that, none of them fall away from the gospel. All of them lived lives in such a way and proclaimed the gospel in such a powerful way that they will lose their lives because they're proclaiming the gospel. And in a powerful sort of way, even though they went in a myriad of different directions, at least 12, and then you add Paul to it and that makes a 13, they go in different directions preaching the gospel, but it's a gospel that always comes back 
to the God who revealed himself in the life of Israel in the Old Testament scriptures and in his son Jesus. Even before there was a New Testament to be shared, they were sharing the good news of Jesus. And it seemed to produce, and it's amazing, a hundred years later, they come back to that same testimony about Jesus. Yes, there were controversies, and the church faced the controversies, and they, they kept coming back to, no, here's the truth. When the New Testament was written, they kept coming back to, no, this is the real revelation that we, we're going to hold on to and move forward in. 200 years later, after 200 years, the church doesn't argue about whether there are scriptures anymore. Yes, there are challenges, but they're very centered around this idea that here is these four gospels, these letters from Paul, this book of Acts, this book of Revelation are a unified message from God and they hold all over the world. Egypt, Spain, Rome, to the east, even into Persia, they hold on to this central message. Jesus prayed that they be one, and those disciples seemed to produce a oneness. A oneness in reality that the world had never seen before and is unique in the world today. Next to the Garden of Gethsemane, if you ever get to visit in the Holy Lands, which is just out on the Mount of Olives, just south of Jerusalem, is a chapel named, and excuse me, I never learned Latin, but... Pater Noster, which translated is our Father. Surrounding the gardens of this chapel and in the courtyard of the chapel are nearly 200 tile plaques. Pater Noster is our Father and 200 tile plaques of the Lord's Prayer. Prayer that Jesus, when they asked, how should we pray? And, and Jesus gave them this pattern for prayer. While it is not our tradition necessarily to quote it in our services, it is my prayer that is a big part of your personal prayer life. Every morning begins for me with the Lord's Prayer, Psalms and the Lord's Prayer. There are 200 tile plaques of the Lord's Prayer in nearly 200 different languages. I've never gotten to be there. But they say when you go, you can sit in the courtyard and there will be visitors from all over the world, Christians from all continents in the world, in so many languages. And you can sit in the courtyard and you can hear the words that Jesus prayed and the words that Jesus told us to pray in all these languages echoing. I've been part of prayer at camp before where we send kids off to pray in little groups of two and three and you stand in their midst and you hear the murmur or in a cabin at night and you hear a murmur of prayer. I can't imagine what it would be like to sit in a place and to know it's not just individual prayers going on. It is the prayer of our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Bread for the day. And forgive us. Forgive us our trespasses, our debts, our sins. As we are people who forgive others. Those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. It's a powerful testimony to the way in the world today. 
There are people who will celebrate the Lord's Supper just like you and I did in every language. There will be people who will pray together, who will sing songs of praise to God, who will join with the heavens as we sang and say, beautiful is our God in every language. Centered around these gospels, centered around this Old Testament wisdom, centered around this life that sees Jesus as Messiah. As anyone who's read John 17 will remember the prayer of the disciples' unity is followed by the prayer for those who believe because of their witness that they too would continue in that unity. And I would not say we have in 2,000 years done it perfectly, but I would say that the unity of the belief in Christ persists until this day. And one might ask, If this is a prayer that Jesus prayed over those who would believe, does that include you? And what are you doing to be someone who lives in his unity? So let's ask, how can we tune our ears to God's voice? How can we hear these prayers that are played for us? You might call these homework. Forgive me. I may even check in on you a little bit. Maybe not homework. What if we said heart work. First, if we're going to have ears and really hear, I want to encourage you to move past head reading in the scriptures and move into heart reading. Sometimes we we kind of hold up the, the quality of reading a whole bunch of scripture. I, look how many chapters I read today and maybe don't let one single phrase, one verse sink into our hearts and really change us. Yes, I want to challenge you to find a phrase or a verse in Scripture that speaks to your heart. 1 John chapter 3. What are we called? We are called children of God. Does that sink in? Does that change you? Can you quote it to me? Quote it to me in such a way that it isn't just an intellectual exercise, but quote it to me in a way that says, I own it, it's mine. It's changing me every single day. Secondly, I would encourage you, if we're going to move from hearing to really listening and being changed by the words of God, we've got to be more specific when we ask the Spirit to help us. If we want to be invaded by the truth of God, we're going to have to say, Spirit, I'm having a hard time. Maybe we're having a hard time really believing that God could love me where I am, in my brokenness, in my imperfection. Have you prayed, Spirit, help me to realize how much God loves me and how much that love, He wants to consume me in that love. Maybe you need to hear His word of, you are my child whom I love and you I'm well pleased. God, I want to hear your words. No, God, I want the Spirit to help me understand that I am forgiven in Jesus Christ. Finally, as a bit of a homework assignment for our prayer today that the church would be one, I want to encourage you to speak the names of believers across the world in your prayers this week. If you know of someone that maybe you've heard mentioned in a mission report somewhere, 
if that name comes to you, but, but even if there's not a specific name, I would encourage you to say, I want to pray for, and we, we've got missionaries in five different locations. I want to pray for the Christians in Haiti. You know what I would encourage you? If you wanted to pray for the Christians in Haiti, is that you contact the folks with Hope for Haiti's children, and you say, I need to know the name of a child so that I can pray for that child's name. Or I want to know the name of one of the teachers, the Christian teachers who teach in this country. I want to pray for them. I may not speak their language. I may never meet them. But we are going to be one in Christ because I'm going to be praying for them. Amen? You could contact Shelly Bryant, and she would give you the name of a person in Shanghai, China, who's coming to know Jesus. You could contact Joaquin. He'd give you 30 names of people all over Santiago. You can reach out and you can know those names. But are they brothers and sisters to you? And what are you doing to close the gap of unity between Christians all around the world and the Christians right here in Lake Jackson, Texas? We are to be one so that the world may believe that you sent me. And so I think at some level I'd be remiss without asking the question, do you know who Jesus is? Because if you don't know who Jesus is, it's kind of hard to take his words and let them change your life. Do you know who Jesus is? And do you know how much he wants to love you right where you are, but to carry you into his goodness one day, one step at a time? Do you know him? We're going to sing a song, and you're welcome to come forward and say, I want to know Jesus a little better, and we'll start that conversation. You don't need to leave this building. There are people sitting right around you that you could say, I want to know Jesus a little better, and they would start a conversation with you. And if, and if they need help, they'll find somebody to help you. If you're with us virtually, I encourage you, start that kind of... And if you're here with us, and you, you just want to kind of ease into it, not a face-to-face, but you more comfortable sort of with that distance, start that conversation with a text. To 939-217-3300. Do you know Jesus? Because the reality and the truth is that he knows you. And he says, if you have ears, please listen. Why don't you come as we stand and sing. My heart.